This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. Well, it's late afternoon in October on the coast of Southeast Alaska. And the weather is absolutely bewildering. This is the stormiest, wettest month of the year. And what's happening right now is a day of flawless sunshine, pure blue sky, no wind at all, warm temperatures. And as if the weather isn't enough, I found myself having a wonderful surprise. I'm keeping company with a big bunch of harbor seals. A little while ago, I counted them, 154 to be exact, on this little island that I'm inhabiting. I've been on this island for several hours. And then this big bunch of harbor seals has come out with the falling tide. It's about low tide right now, and as the tide comes in, eventually it'll wash these seals back into the water. But right now, they're in their glory just as I am, basking in this unaccustomed autumn warmth. It's a tiny little island, just a low mound of bedrock and sand, surrounded by rocky reefs and thick beds of kelp. Gentle surf breaking all around on a day like this, but in the winter, sometimes it just roars right over the top. That's a quintessential sound of the North Pacific coast, a black oyster catcher. We got a lot of other birds around too. There's several hundred gulls, there's a few little shorebirds and a bunch of crows rambling around feeding along the tide line. As I look off toward the south and toward the west, there's the North Pacific Ocean in all its immensity, stretching off to the far distant horizon. You can really feel here the fact that water covers three quarters of our world and that the Pacific is the biggest pond of them all. But the seals are having a bit of a respite from their life in the water. They're lounging on the rocks and have been for long enough that most of them are dry and frizzy looking. Well, seals come to us like an unexpected gift from the ocean world. Most of us, I think, have a special affection for seals. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's because as we look into their faces, I think they remind us of our closest animal companion, the dog, their head and face, strikingly similar to something like a shining, wet, broad-headed Labrador. But the body is totally different. You never appreciate that more than when they're lying on a shore like this. If they look like a dog, it's a dog in a sack. And as I look now at the closest seal, which is looking right at me, I don't think it can hear my voice because of the sound of the surf. They vary in how cautious they are, and this one just keeps raising its head. Interestingly, in the bright low sunshine now, there's a group of 30 or 40 gulls fluttering back and forth over the seals, dropping down and lifting up absolutely gorgeous in this beautiful afternoon light. When a seal stares at you, what I find most compelling is the huge, dark, unfathomable eyes. They're like clear, glassy, shining domes filled with midnight sky. Somehow those eyes make the seal look 
gentle and vulnerable and at the same time, I think, mysterious. The Alaskan poet Sheila Nickerson writes her imagined thoughts of a harbor seal with these words. Those who look into the world of my eyes cannot look away. Seals are like wild kindred who come to us and watch us from the sea. They're insatiably curious. They often come up to my skiff or kayak, lift way up out of the water and stare at me as if they can't get over their curiosity. Perhaps that's one of the reasons it's often been suggested that seals gave rise to the idea of mermaids. They evoke a kind of loneliness and longing inside us. It reminds me of the beautiful folklore, stories from the Celtic world, places like the Orkney Isles, also Iceland, of the Selkies. These are seal humans, and according to the myth, they come out of the water at night, remove their seal skins, and become humans, and they celebrate on the land. And if a human slips up and steals the hide, that animal, if it happens to be a beautiful female, as in one of the stories, will have to become his. And in this story, a young man does this. He's smitten by a beautiful young selkie woman. Steals her hide, she comes with him, they marry, they have children. They were happy and yet always she seemed to long for the sea, standing on the shore looking out over the ocean. And then one day, the man and his children go off and while they're gone, she finds the key to the locked chest, opens it up, slips back into her skin and walks down into the ocean and swims away. And the man and his children for years afterward, when they're out in their boat, will notice a seal coming to look at them. I love that story and it reminds me of how so often here, seals will swim up toward my skiff and just lay there in the water looking at me. Now harbor seals belong to a group that's called the earless seals as we look closely we see that they do in fact have little round dark openings and those openings shut tightly underwater but no external ear like we have. There are about 20 kinds of earless seals around the world from the monk seals in the coral tropics, places like Hawaii, to the ringed and bearded seals all the way up in the icy waters of the Arctic Ocean. Everywhere you see them, their overall shape is streamlined. They look like living torpedoes. They're awkward on land. As I watch one crawling up right now, it's wriggling up like a caterpillar. They're quite different from their biological cousins, the sea lions, the fur seals, the walrus. Those animals are called eared seals. They have very small external ear flaps. On land, eared seals raise up and rotate their flippers under their body, kind of like stumpy legs with flipper feet. Very different from our wiggling, crawling, earless seals. Harbor seals are actually one of the smaller of all the sea mammals. They're roughly human size. We can see some big males out here right now, five to six feet long, 150 to as much as 350 pounds. The female's a bit smaller. Harbor seals come in two color patterns. You can see it especially when they're out on land as ours are right now. There's light colored ones, silvery gray with lots of small dark spots. I think our majority here is the light colored. And then there's dark ones, ashy black with light colored spots on them. Every harbor seal has a unique pattern of those spots. So if you hung out with this bunch of seals long enough, you'd come to identify them as individuals. 
Now their coat is very short, much too sparse to keep the seal warm. Of course, the main insulation for a harbor seal, the thick layer of blubber all around its body. Our harbor seals have little short flat front flippers and they look for all the world like our own hand if we hold our fingers together and that's just about the right size. There are bones inside those flippers just like the bones of a land mammal. They've got finger bones in there and hand bones and that shows our ancient evolutionary connections. Five claws on each of their flippers. Those are used for scratching themselves and also sometimes for defense. Now the hind flippers on a harbor seal, much bigger than the front ones. Like a hugely oversized human hand, again, but way bigger, with the fingers widely spread and then webs between the fingers. They sweep those from side to side for their powerful swimming. Now our harbor seal is the most widespread member of the entire seal family found throughout the North Pacific, from Baja California, Mexico, all the way up to the Aleutian Islands and the Bering Sea, and then over along the coast of Asia, Russia, Japan, and they're also found over in the Atlantic, New Jersey to Arctic Canada and Northern Europe. They live mostly near coasts, not out on the deep ocean. Sometimes harbor seals will enter rivers. A few of them live permanently in large lakes in Canada and in Alaska. Interestingly, the highly adaptable harbor seal also lives around big cities and harbors. Vancouver, San Francisco, San Diego, and over in New York City, Boston. And of course, in lots of harbors along the coasts of British Columbia and Alaska. Harbor seals are not migratory. Some of them do move to seasonal food sources, for example, salmon streams. However, studies that were done of seals that were satellite tagged in Glacier Bay here in southeast Alaska found that some of those seals wandered to places several hundred miles away over the course of the year. One very adventuresome female, poetically named PV07-GB48, left Glacier Bay in September in the fall, swam all the way out to the continental shelf and back again twice, then went all the way up the Alaska coast to Prince William Sound where she was located in November, and by the following June she was back near Glacier Bay again. That seal wandered about 2,000 miles over a period of 10 months. But most harbor seals stay closer to home, and they've got their favorite places where they haul out on shore. Little islands, like the one we're on now, rocky reefs, secluded beaches, and floating glacial ice. The popular haul-outs have dozens of seals, or hundreds like ours right here, and sometimes even thousands. Why do they gather like this? Well, there's safety in numbers. There's never a minute when I look at our seals. I'd say there's about five of them watching right now. They'll drop their head. Another one will lift its head. There's always somebody keeping an eye out very hard to approach. There's no way I'd get close to these animals if they hadn't come out on shore while I was out of sight. Harbor seals especially like to haul out in the spring and summer. And the most important time for this is midsummer. That's when these animals shed their coat and having warm skin helps the seals to grow new fur. Well, it's not all bliss and harmony in these haul-outs. If one seal nudges up against another one, they'll growl at each other. Sometimes they'll even scratch or nip at each other. 
But the truth is, these are pretty gentle animals. Actual fights are rare, except when the males are competing for females in the mating season. Oh, here's something interesting. Looking out, there's a big bunch of sea otters lounging around out there in the kelp. Sea otters don't come on shore the way harbor seals do. Must be 50 or 60 of them. If you didn't look close, you'd think that was just the kelp. So we've got two beautiful charismatic animals that live right here around this little island. Well, although harbor seals so often crowd together like this at haulouts, they're solitary hunters out in the sea. Their main diet? Fish. Here in Alaska, pollock, cod, capelin, herring, salmon, as I mentioned, rockfish, flounders, also octopus and squid and shrimp. They've got a pretty broad appetite and a big one. The adults will eat about 10 to 18 pounds of food per day, far more than a comparable sized human. Why do they eat so much? They have to, to maintain their body heat in these cold northern waters. Now here's something really interesting. Harbor seals often hunt at night or way down in the murky depths, and that's why they have very large eyes, much bigger than ours, because they need to gather light. However, here's something very surprising. Researchers have found blind harbor seals that were perfectly healthy. Obviously, these are animals that can hunt without seeing at all. Well, the biologists think their whiskers, long, thin, bristle of whiskers, might be the key. They've got 10 or 20 of those on each side, and every whisker can move independently like sensitive fingers. And when the seal is hunting, it thrusts those whiskers in and out. It sweeps its head back and forth, highly attuned to vibrations in the water. Fascinating studies have been done with a captive seal named Henry. They covered Henry's eyes and ears so he had no sight and no hearing. And then they moved small objects through the water in the pool where Henry lived. They found an amazing ability to follow underwater wakes or trails made by those objects. In fact, that seal could even sense very small differences in the size of those objects. They calculated that a harbor seal can accurately follow a single herring, a very small fish, no longer than your hand, that's 600 feet ahead of it. That would be like you or I being able to feel the microscopic air currents from the tip of a sparrow's wings after the sparrow is a city block away. Researchers have also found that harbor seals have an acute sense of smell. They're highly sensitive, in particular to the smell of dimethyl sulfide. That's a chemical that's given off by swarms of plankton, and it gathers like an invisible cloud on the surface of the water. And although the harbor seals don't eat the plankton, they can use that smell the way you or I might follow the smell of a barbecue to find a picnic. Oh, a whole bunch of gulls now drifting on this calm air back and forth above the seals, just whirling around as if for the pure pleasure. Well, above everything else, harbor seals are creatures shaped in the sea, by the sea, and for the sea. They're incredibly swift and graceful swimmers. Sometimes I'll see them from my skiff in shallow water, rocketing back and forth, effortlessly soaring and gliding, right side up or upside down, doesn't seem to matter. 
Water gives the seals freedom to move in every dimension, just like these gulls sailing back and forth and up and down in the sky. Well, of course, we mostly see harbor seals, like I'm watching them right now, when they're out of the water. Well, that's not really showing us much about the seal's life. It's as if the harbor seals only saw us when we were swimming. Most of the seal's life, of course, is completely hidden from us. So how do biologists study seals underwater? Well, they do it mainly by gluing a tiny recording device onto the back of a seal. It records their diving times, the depths, heart rates, temperatures, other information about the animal. Now, these little devices have revealed, for example, that before a deep dive, the harbor seal forces the air out of its lungs. That, of course, makes the seal less buoyant, so it's easier for it to go down. They also, before they dive, build up oxygen in their blood and tissues. Now, the seal's blood has a much higher myoglobin content than a land mammal like us. That's the stuff that carries oxygen. The seal also has more blood in its body than a land mammal of the same size, and that adds to its ability to stay underwater for long periods of time. Now, when our harbor seal ducks underwater, it immediately triggers automatic dive reflexes. The ear openings involuntarily close. The breathing automatically stops. And here's something remarkable. The seal's heart rate drops by about 90% to just four or five beats per minute while it's underwater. Its metabolic rate slows, its body temperature drops, everything to conserve oxygen and help that seal to stay down underwater and stay warm. While diving, the blood flow of the seal increases to its heart, its lungs, its brain, the core areas, and it decreases to areas that need less oxygen. Biologists working on harbor seals in California recorded about 29,000 dives. The deepest of those seal dives, about 1,600 feet. So they can go far down if they want to. Some of those dives lasted longer than 30 minutes. But harbor seals usually hunt in much shallower water, and their dives are far shorter. For example, a study on Kodiak Island on the coast of Alaska, most of the harbor seal dives were about 15 to 150 feet deep and lasted just four minutes or less. And of course, our harbor seals are specially adapted to life in cold water. Their metabolic rate is actually higher than a comparable land mammal. That internal furnace of the seal is burning food to make body heat, and the thick layer of insulating blubber that surrounds its body holds that heat inside. A harbor seal can spend all day in 35-degree water, and its core temperature stays at about 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a bit higher than our normal body temperature. Well, harbor seals must be pretty darn comfortable in the water because that's also where they mate. As the mating season gets underway, the male harbor seals go underwater and roar. Perhaps they do that to attract females. Maybe it's to defend a territory from other males. The males fight with each other using their teeth and claws. It's not uncommon to see them get wounded. The mating itself, however, is a very different story. Years ago, I watched two harbor seals in the water beside a very small island in the Aleutian chain. It was a beautiful, calm evening, golden sun setting. And here these seals were, vertical in the water, 
their heads together, rubbing against each other, cheek to cheek. You could not mistake what was happening. Their bodies lifting and dropping in the easy swells. Gotta confess, I felt like an impolite intruder, but the two seals were completely oblivious to me. And while I was watching, it seemed perfectly obvious that romance is not unique to humankind. The female harbor seal has a single pup. Here in Alaska, it's usually born in the summertime, often in haulouts like this little island here on the coast of southeast Alaska, but they also like to give birth on floating ice near glaciers. Why? It's a very safe place. The little pup is born with its eyes open. It can swim within an hour. The mother harbor seal has two mammary glands and they give extremely rich milk, about 45% fat. Compare that to the 2% fat in some of the milk you can buy at the store. The pup will frolic around its mom in the water, nip at her flippers, hitch a ride on her back, clamping hold with his little flippers. Now the mom will sometimes leave her pup ashore when she goes out to feed, so a little seal that's laying on the rocks alone is not necessarily abandoned. Otherwise, the mother usually stays very close to her little one until it's weaned when it's about a month to six weeks old. The main predators on harbor seals are in the water, killer whales and sharks. But if a harbor seal is lucky and if it's cautious, it can live for 25 to 30 years. Here along the North Pacific coast, harbor seals are very common but they've declined or even disappeared in some parts of the world, especially in the Atlantic, where there have been lots of human impacts. There's also been some recent declines in parts of Alaska. For example, in Prince William Sound, researchers are trying to understand why the numbers of harbor seals have dropped since the 1980s, and they've come up with an interesting possible explanation. First, they believe that the harbor seal's food supply declined. Perhaps that's because of overfishing, Perhaps it's something else. The remaining seals, however, are perfectly healthy. They're not starving. But they think that in order to find food, those seals have to spend more time away from their safe haulouts, more time diving and hunting out in the ocean, and that makes them vulnerable to killer whales and shark predation. If this was proven, it would show an ecological chain reaction possibly triggered by human activities. There have been even bigger declines along some other parts of the Alaska coast. For example, Tagetic Island in the Gulf of Alaska until the 1970s was one of the world's biggest haulouts with over 20,000 harbor seals. And then came a catastrophic decline that bottomed out at around 1,500 seals. But there's been a slight recovery in recent years. Of course, it's always possible that the seals have moved somewhere else and may return. There's simply no evidence to understand what's going on. Well, luckily, harbor seals are still pretty common in many parts of the world. There's about 300,000 harbor seals along the North Pacific coast and roughly 500,000 of them worldwide. I just turned and looked over my shoulder because I heard that sound. It's a bald eagle that's come in and landed on top of a driftwood log in the middle of this island. It also doesn't know that I hunkered down here among the rocks. The low sun now really shining off our harbor seals and the tide is pushing them a little bit farther up on the rocks, some slipping into the water. Well, when I'm on this island, I often think about the fact that Tlingit people 
have hunted harbor seals on and around this island for many thousands of years. And throughout the coastlines of the Pacific Ocean, the Bering Sea, and the Atlantic Ocean, harbor seals have been hunted by people for countless millennia. They're still used for food and hides by people like the Aleuts in the Aleutian Islands, the Yupik Eskimo people in the Bering Sea coast, the Thlingit and Haida people here in southeast Alaska and British Columbia, also Inuit people in Greenland, and some Icelanders and Norwegians still hunt harbor seals. The numbers that are taken are not large, a few thousand each year today. On the other hand, far more intensive hunting of harbor seals happened in the recent past. For example, from 1920 to 1967, hunters here in Alaska were paid a bounty to kill seals. This was seen as predator control because, of course, harbor seals do sometimes eat salmon. Harbor seals have also been hunted in Alaska and elsewhere for the commercial sale of their hides. That peaked in the 1960s here in Alaska when 40,000 to 60,000 harbor seals were killed every year. That all ended in 1972 when the United States Congress passed the Marine Mammals Protection Act, which only allows hunting of seals by native people. Although hunting for these animals has declined in many areas where harbor seals live, the experts have concerns about other human impacts. Fishermen, for example, shoot harbor seals because they take fish from their nets. Seals die when they get caught in gill nets or trapped in crab pods. Operators of fish farms or hatcheries sometimes shoot seals to protect their fish. Seals also get tangled in chunks of abandoned fish net. They get snared around the neck by plastic packaging materials. They die from swallowing plastic debris. And along industrialized coasts, toxic pollutants can affect the reproduction of harbor seals, can increase their susceptibility to disease. And then, of course, oil spills are always a major concern. The Exxon Valdez oil spill in Prince William Sound here in Alaska in 1989, experts think it killed about one-third of all the harbor seals in areas that were reached by the oil. Well, luckily, Harbor seals are thriving in places like right here on the southern coast of Alaska. I've been watching harbor seals on this same island for about 30 years, and I'm confident in saying there are still as many now as there ever have been. Well, finding this big mob of about 150 seals here on this island on an October afternoon brings back again my fascination with seals and my affection for them. I always love to see these animals especially when they come close to my skiff or my kayak in those clear, shallow waters. So I can see them torpedoing back and forth, veering and gliding, obviously at play in the open freedom of their element. Or when I'm sitting quietly on a shore and a seal bobs up someplace close by in the water, comes nearer and nearer, stares at me. There are a few other animals I know of that have such an innocent curiosity about us. I often wonder, what is that seal thinking as it watches me? Of course, I'll never know any more than that seal knows my thoughts. But somehow, we're drawn to each other from our altogether different worlds. Each of us seems caught in a moment of shared fascination and playful bewilderment. There's nothing quite like seals, an alluring, mysterious, beautiful, beguiling gift from the sea. Emissaries from the ocean world that we often yearn to touch, 
but a world that somehow remains forever beyond our reach. Well, it makes me think of my favorite lines from a poem by the 17th century British author, Lord Byron. There is a rapture on the lonely shore. There is society where none intrudes. By the deep sea and music in its roar, I love not man the less, but nature more. For Encounters on an Island at the Edge of the North Pacific, I'm Richard Nelson. I want to say thanks to the harbor seals for being a part of our world, for letting themselves be watched, and for watching back. And thanks to all the wild places for showing us the true nature of our original home on Earth. And as always, thanks so much to you for your good company. See you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute, KCAW, and the Sitka Sound Science Center in Sitka, Alaska. Written and narrated by Richard Nelson, developed by Ken Fate, Encounters is produced and edited by Lisa Bush, web design and research by Liz McKenzie. Encounters is funded by the North Pacific Research Board, the Educational Foundation of America, the Johnson Family Foundation, Robert Osborne, and Gerald Lorraine. For more information about the subjects covered by Encounters and to podcast the program, go to EncountersNorth.org.